Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and you're very welcome to the show, which is part of the Education on Fire podcast network. NAEP, which is a non-political charity, works tirelessly to support teachers in the classroom and leads the primary umbrella group of 30 primary subjects associations and unions and gives teachers and schools a voice at governmental level at consultation meetings with ministers for schools. If you'd like your voice to be heard and to find out more information, please visit nape.org.uk. That's n-a-p-e.org.uk. Hello and welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education podcast. My name is Mark Taylor. Today I'm talking to Kay Tucker and she's part of String Babies and she'll explain a little bit about what that's all about. But we were just talking before we started recording about how important music's been to both of us. And of course, as someone who's a professional musician and an educator myself and, and the fact that we have Primary Music on Fire membership site, which NAPE is very kindly supporting as well, this should be a great conversation about how the arts and music generally fits into education as a whole, which of course is a really important part of what NAPE's all about in that broad sense of curriculum. So Kay, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. You're very welcome, Mark. So let's start with that kind of background about why music? How did you get into it? Why is it so important? And then we'll we'll take us through into how string babies became a thing. Well, I took up a cello when I was age twelve at secondary school, but in fact, I was aware that I music was very important to me from a terrifically early age. I came from a non-musical family, and at the age of five, I remember sitting during a school assembly at infant school and hearing some music and feeling incredibly moved to, uh, it felt like the point of tears. And so I asked my parents to put the record player in my room, and um, which they kindly did. It was one of these portable um, record players and they put it in my room and I hogged it <laughs> and just listened and listened and listened to music. The thing that was significant at that time was I remember hearing the sound of strings and thinking, I want to make that sound. And I remember grabbing hold of my mum and saying, Mum, what is that playing now? And she said, well, I think it's a violin. I'm not sure, but I think it's a violin. Anyway, the short and long of it is that I didn't get the chance to take up a string instrument until I was actually 12. I took up a recorder couldn't read music, couldn't get hold of the idea of reading music. Um, and I was very much led by my ears. I played by ears. I picked up um, the tunes um, by ear as well. And um, during my, I think it was the end of my first year at secondary school, so this would be the end of year seven, I was approached by one of the music teachers to say a cello had become available. Now, the sort of backstory to that is that I had been having recorder lessons at, sec at junior school and I, my teacher was a bassoonist and so I thought I'd like to play the bassoon. And uh, I kept begging the music department for bassoon lessons and this is a, at a wonderfully glorious time when um, music lessons were free, um, musical instruments were readily available in schools. And um, it so turned out that one day I was just collared coming out of the school gym and said, there's, there's a cello available, would you like to come and see it? And that was the start of my journey. It is amazing, isn't it, how that opportunity 
just comes up. I, I was exactly the same. I, I had recorders and did singing through my primary school. And, and th- I remember the first um, the first head teacher at our primary school in assemblies, there was always some kind of music as part of the assembly and some of it was classical. And like you say, I think maybe if, if you have an affinity with music, even if you don't understand it, you can't even sort of pitch it historically, even though you might be told what the dates are and that kind of thing. It's the emotional connection, which I think you identify with. And then it's almost exactly the same as you. When I went into secondary school, I had to learn an instrument um, as part of our music lessons. And it was that opportunity that just opened the door that without that being the case and like you said back then you know music lessons were I think they were free for, certainly for the first year for me and certainly um, heavily subsidized after that it makes it makes a big difference to people's lives and it sounds like you had that opportunity um, which set you on your path as well yes completely and utterly changed I think the course of um, I suppose our family history in one sense because I came from a very working class family I went to school in the South Yorkshire mining village um, none of the ladies in my family had ever had a, what a meaningful or a, I don't want to say meaningful that's not the right word um, had a career they married became wives and mothers and of course that is very meaningful I'm one of those too and that's very, very important, actually. Um, but, um, you know, I wouldn't have had the opportunity. Um, music wasn't in the family. Um, my parents weren't musical. They weren't particularly well off. And, you know, it wouldn't have come any other way. I, it totally changed my life. And how did it develop from there? Was it just a question of lessons and then the opportunity to perform in school? And then was there sort of an extended opportunity then through sort of, I don't know, in my experience, it was doing the county orchestras and bands and that kind of thing? Yes, well, I was taught um, for a teacher from a local music service and I was actually just shoved through the grades at an absolute rate of knots. So I went from beginner to grade eight in a period of less than five years. Mm. And my diet was just exams, exams, exams. I went, finished one grade, straight on to the next. And I did love being involved in the local orchestras, um, a string orchestra particularly. We had a fabulous conductor and he was a, a wonderful chap as well, very humorous, really knew how to um, relate to young people and he was inspiring. And it was my first exposure to some of the great um, music, for, which is written for strings, um, like the St. Paul Suite by Holst. And uh, it was it was it was just a wonderful experience. I then went through county. Um, well, it wasn't a county. It was a, a youth orchestra. It was Rotherham Youth Orchestra. In fact, I joined what was then called the South Yorkshire Youth Orchestra as well. Um, and that eventually, I think, became the Chef, City of Sheffield Orchestra. But um, at the time, the City of Sheffield Orchestra was formed. I was invited to join, but. I was then leaving to go to college and that wasn't quite a straightforward path for me either because although I had the opportunity to take cello up at secondary school, I very, very badly underachieved academically because I was really generally very unhappy. And I left school with virtually no qualifications, just no level passing music and what was called a CSE then, a grade one which is equivalent to an O-level pass or a GCE pass in um, 
in chemistry. And this was at a time when you still needed five or, or more O levels to just go to college or go into a profession like nursing. And I decided not to stay on at school for the sixth form. I went to Rotherham College of Arts and Technology. It had just opened a new music A-level course, and I was so incredibly happy there. I had some inspiring teachers who totally turned my, um, should we say, my academic status around completely. So over the next two years, I, I passed all the O-levels and A-levels I needed to be able to um, go into further education. But at the end of those two years, near the end of those two years, I auditioned for the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. And I didn't get in. It was actually a, quite a devastating experience. I don't know how it, the auditions are run these days, but when I auditioned, you went to um, just for a day trip, you did your audition um, on your main instrument, you did some written papers. And at the end of the day, if you were, were in with a, a shout, you would be invited to have an interview with the principal. And if your name wasn't on that list, it was the end of the process. And unfortunately, the first time that happened, um, it was the end of the process. <laughs> and I went home um, and had a similar experience at the Royal Northern, who were actually a little bit more helpful in advice they gave to me. And um, my teacher, my cello teacher, had sent me to uh, a cellist called Anna Shuttleworth, who is considered um, a, a living legend in cello teaching and playing. And she was based in Leeds, and I went to her for a lesson. And she basically alerted me to the fact that I really needed to do a lot of relearning my playing technique. And... So I, I, I took a sidestep. I forgot about going to one of the big London conservatories. I went to Huddersfield School of Music for two years, had Anna as a teacher and also her colleague, Susan Lowe. Um, the first thing they decided to do was to send me to an osteopath <laughs> and because I was quite muscle bound. And then they started to teach me absolutely everything from scratch again and you know that I think was a very significant um, time because in order to get back on track I had to analyze absolutely everything about my own playing and I think if that hadn't happened I never would have come up with string babies later on it is amazing isn't it how it's, I think, especially because we sort of have this perception of how our lives may go because you know we talk so much on all all the podcasts on on the educational fire network about passion and following your dreams and all of that kind of thing but it very rarely happens either in the way that you expect it to or or maybe in that slightly more ethereal way the way that it's meant to um because of course you know the important part is that you know you were passionate about music you knew that from an early age you know you loved the idea of of playing the cello you got the opportunity and the next path is to have lessons and go to music college or whatever that you think that might be and, and a path that many of us have done um 
but it seems that actually in reality that may not have been <laughs> as you experienced it's not as straightforward as that the lines get crisscrossed all over the place but then it's only in hindsight you get to see exactly how that works and I think that's really important for all of us in education that we don't know how we're influencing the the children and the people that we're involved in with education that may well be staff as well you know you just have to go with what's in front of you at any given time and have a certain amount of just um, respect for it could go anywhere you know just be open to these things you know and just see where it takes you and 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 let life guide you as much as you guiding yourself you've got the passion you know where you're heading but you don't necessarily know which train you're getting on you're right because I don't think I could have ever foreseen the way my career would have developed Um, I think like any young um, instrumentalist who's passion is playing you want to be the top dog you want to be a soloist because you love playing solos and um, it was really interesting because um, Sue Lowe who co-taught me with Anna took me on one side and uh, said we think we being herself and Anna Shuttleworth thought I should consider teaching and she was very encouraging about that because they thought I had the makings of a successful teacher and so the normal course of way things should have progressed from doing this two-year course, because I ended up with a couple of teaching diplomas at the end of it, would have been to go and do a PGCE, um, a postgraduate certificate in education, and then go go out into the profession. And um, I decided I would give the Guildhall one more crack, and I got in. And I went and studied four years at the Guildhall. And at the end of that, I decided that I still was passionate about teaching. So I did a PGCE at Middlesex Polytechnic and applied for my first job in my first term as a teacher with Surrey Music Service and got it. And what I love about that is the fact that, you you know, you got to realise that dream of going to music college, like you said, and sometimes you just need that time. And I, th- I think it's why I'm so passionate personally about every child having the opportunity to learn music no matter where they are and I I know I know you know if you live in around one of the big cities you know one of the main orchestras in the UK often have an education program and there are various things that you get the opportunity to do but actually there are plenty of people who live outside of those areas that don't get that opportunity or certainly not as often and actually having the reach of 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 opportunity for everybody is really key it shouldn't actually matter um if you know like you said you live in a mining um, a mining town up north you know i came from an old mining town in the west country and actually mm-hmm. it, it's, it's quite significant the way you think about life it's of course very different you know you know you think about going to london or you think about the opportunities or think about working with something which seems to be very um a long way away or many steps away from what you experience and it's only as you start to go on that journey that you realize that it is possible but i think that should start much closer to home rather than further away yes i i think so and it slightly depresses me the lack of opportunity and the lack of i suppose awareness of the power of music to transform lives um to not just from a purely emotional um, and therapeutic engagement. It's more than that. As I've discovered really through String Babies, um, involvement in music really does um, set up the brain 
for yes, better absolutely. learning. There's just absolutely no dispute. And I'm really seeing this um, with the young children I, I teach now who are very, very young and, um, and seeing what happens when they go to school. And it's, it's, it, 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 it just seems to me that there is a sort of upside down thinking that a tr maybe it's set in tradition, um, I don't know, but we've got to do literacy, we've got to do numeracy first and, and whatever. And music is a skill that you can add on later. And string babies, when it, I came around to developing, and there's obviously a, a few things that have happened in between, my starting my career and, and starting string babies um, but string babies arose out of my curiosity and my dissatisfaction with the way the youngest of my pupils found it difficult to understand and comprehend music and I really began to question whether music in notation in the way it was traditionally presented in tutor books was the appropriate way of dealing with children of five years and younger and you see with a cello you can actually start a child at the age of three if they're really bright even two and a half you get the instruments scaled down of course you know the suzuki tradition they've regularly been um, starting children at that age and the big plus where a string instrument is concerned is that it's the children are very, very physically flexible. It's very much easier to teach them good playing habits. And this is, of course, what I had suffered from as a cellist who started fairly late and that I had to relearn when I was 18. And that experience just stayed with me. It really haunted me. And I thought, I've got to be able to make sure that what happened to me and doesn't really happen to anybody else it was quite a driving thing at that point. It does sound to me as if, you know, that that passion is is incredibly important. And just t just take us through, therefore, how string babies enabled that to be a case. Is it something which you developed for yourself to help them do originally, and then has expanded, or was it something that you always conceived to be that anybody that was teaching would be able to then use to to create these great habits with the younger children? <laughs> well, do you know, having talked about going from step to step, um, as we did in our past conversation, I think it was the same thing. I just had one of those in days of inspiration. I was at a bit of a crossroads as well in, in, in my career. Um, I'd had a career up to this point of cutting my cloth, as it were, around my children. I was doing some playing. I was I had my own private teaching practice. I was teaching in a couple of schools. Very importantly, and this has a significant um, impact on what I do now, I'm, I became an adjudicator for the British and International Federation of Festivals. So um, that has a, a very important, I suppose, role of working with people of all ages, of varied backgrounds, um, basically giving public teaching and um, and to a degree masterclasses and um, how string babies came about more specifically well I just felt one day that I needed to be working 
more with young children and I just had the gem of an idea literally go ping into my head. It was just the start of an idea. I had, if I'm honest, been wrestling for a very, very long time, trying out all sorts of things, probably for all my teaching career, of how to enable children to really grasp being able to comprehend and read music. I wasn't happy that, you know, I was getting exam results, which, you know, they'd get top marks for the pieces, maybe good marks for the scales, but um, oral might be okay, but sight reading was considered, sight reading in particular was considered one of those things you could do or you couldn't. And I wasn't happy with that. I didn't think that needed to be. And I felt that somehow if we could address the general musicianship training alongside, right from the start, alongside learning to play the instrument, things might begin to change. So I suppose, yes, I started to develop my, the ideas for myself, my own teaching, for my own curiosity. And I didn't conceive a, an approach. Um, did decide to call it Cello Babies right from the day from day one. I had this seed of an idea, and the seed was that I would link a string on the cello to a toy, and the toy would then be superseded by a shape, which would come to represent pitch on a eventual stave. And that was the first idea. And so I started to flesh that out and wrote a few lesson plans based around those ideas. And as I thought about it, I realized that we needed to have the tuning of the, the instrument, the way the instruments tune, which is in perfect fifths, somehow represented in there. So I composed a, a short bank of very, I suppose, um, childish songs in um, I say, child, well, childish, child-friendly songs, thinking of three to six years of age. This was the age group I had in my mind at that time. And uh, I was very fortunate in the sense that my father um, is still, a, you know, he's a very, still a very youthful 87. And while I was growing up, he was always singing silly songs to me, um, nonsense rhymes, and, you know, it wasn't very hard to come up with something that was a little bit off the wall. So, for instance, one of my favourite songs, which is based on the perfect fifth, is Kippers and Custard. And the lyrics are, Kippers and Custard, Sausages and Mustard, Cooked in a Big Pot, All for Tea. Yuck. <laughs> and it's the number one hit. I'm not going to sing it for you because it's, I'm not a good singer. <laughs> but... Um, it's that's the number one hit with the children when um we come to the sound yuck the children take their bow below the the bridge and make the most disgusting sound that they can and they absolutely love that but back to i suppose i i can i told you i could talk for england <laughs> uh, and back to, back to where we um i i started about developing the ideas well it was incredibly good timing because at the time I had these ideas, I, I decided to advertise amongst friends that I would like to do a little cello babies group just to try out these ideas. And I got a phone call from the head of music at a, a local preparatory school. And she um, contacted me because 
on on pre two previous occasions she had asked me to go and teach cello there and on both occasions I wasn't able to I'd sent um, a colleague along one occasion and on the second occasion I provided her with one of my ex pupils who was now grown up and a cello teacher in her own right and my ex pupil was about to go off and do a postgraduate certificate in education and so there was a vacancy to be filled and she said um would you come and have you got another wonderful ex-student you could send? And I just said, well, do you have you got a nursery? And she said, well, yes. And I said, well, if I come and teach for you, will you let me um, teach cello to the nurse to some children in the nursery? And they were absolutely up for that. And to be honest, I had tried that approach. Or, um, in various other places I taught and just met with a blanket they're far too young you know you can't go teach children that young so here was an open opportunity and um, so I started teaching a small handful of children and I wrote out every lesson we'd have a hello song based um, on the perfect fifth on A and D and a goodbye song which, which would have um, do, me, so in, um, D, F sharp, and A. And in between, I had written all sorts of little activities, which was partly for me test, just starting to build their knowledge. And of course, I had no idea if it was going to work. And so I probably rather overcooked the goose. What I can now deliver in five minutes took me about five weeks. <laughs> But I wanted to be sure that these ideas worked because it, they worked, not because it was me being wonderfully enthusiastic. I wanted to be sure that everything I did held water. And about these kids um, really enjoyed the lessons. We had great fun and they certainly progressed. And about a year later, I had an amazing breakthrough because I had literally developed the approach as he went. And basically, as I mentioned, we are linking um, pitch to toys and then to shaped symbols. I was teaching rhythm quite separately, just starting with crotchets and quavers, but we were using time names, calling them ta and tete. And I'd really found ways of getting children to engage with um, those concepts very, very easily and very, very solidly. And we'd actually been able to build up to from a single line stave to a two line stave and finally a three line stave of shape notation, crotchets and quavers. And I thought, how am I going to get beyond this? How am I going to go from here into conventional music? And it was answered almost, well, it was accidentally. In fact, one day I had been teaching a little group of boys. They were rising four years old. And I had taken a piece from another book, another tutor book, and I transcribed it into my shape notation. And they played that very happily. And I'd left the music out. I was clearing away the toys while a 12-year-old student of mine came in. She was a grade two student. She unpacked a cello quietly. Well, I, and then just started playing. And I realized that she was playing the notation 
that had been left on the stand from a previous lesson. She was playing, she was interpreting the string baby's notation and she played it perfectly. And then she said, oh, Mrs. Tucker, that's not what I thought it was. Oh, this is frightfully clever. (laughs) (laughs) Or awfully clever. And I realized, I, I just had a eureka moment. I thought, you have been hoodwinked into thinking that is conventional notation. I thought, hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, um, from that point onwards, I then brought in very carefully selected conventional notation. I looked for books with large print. And um, I started showing the children, my students, the string babies, as we became, um this notation and they were picking up very very quickly things they already recognized so that um they were able to transfer their knowledge into conventional notation and that, that what has happened since is that the two conventional notation and string babies notation coexist and eventually you do leave the string babies notation behind but what is very different about string babies and I'm I'm you know in some ways really quite proud of what um, I think has been its unique selling point is that right from the word go whether it's writing rhythms or whether it's choosing the shapes that might film up a, um, a line it's the child who makes those decisions so I have a, a magnetic whiteboard and a box of magnetic shapes and symbols and the children make the choices so they are in fact becoming composers and you might not recognize it as composition it was just putting four shapes in a row but it is composition it's their choice and they then play it back and of course you can randomize it you know and in a group setting you could get one child to make up a composition on the whiteboard give it to another child to interpret and to play and over the years what has pre-proven beyond dispute is that string babies um, students when they take exams they gain at least at the least 80 percent in oral and sight reading more frequently 100 percent it's not unusual right across the ability range and this pattern of composing is then developed and some of the youngsters I've taught have come up with most stunning compositions and really developed that side of their um, musicianship. So, you know, String Babies is not just about teaching the cello, it's teaching you how to be a good musician, all-rounded musician with solid foundations, and also a composer, which I find incredibly exciting because it's so creative and nothing is nothing's off limits and um, it can be it can be really good fun even now I have children who will want to explore all kinds of feelings and subject matters and it might um, be quite basic um, with one student writing um, a song about his sister's snotty nose <laughs> which is true because he's, he's, he's quite a lad and, you know, he's at that age where he's interested with how the body works, to put it politely. <laughs> and uh, to um, another student of mine who wanted to write a song and she said, I want to call this 
a walking deaf wood. <laughs> <laughs> and she had a storyline behind it. It was wonderful. And I have another student at the moment who has written, um, is one of twins. And in fact, their dad is a professional composer. Um, one heard the Easter story, I remember, at school, and he wanted to write a free piece set based on the Easter story. And he's, you know, um, he came up with free movements. I think it was um, betrayal, the movement, um, crucifixion and resurrection um, based on the life of Christ. And this actually, you know, to be absolutely fun, as far as I'm aware, this is not a, a Christian family, but um, it was this was something coming out of what they were learning in school. So we're beginning to make links there with what's happening in school. His twin sister loves writing her own poetry. So I said to her recently, would you bring a poem along? Would you bring a poem along and let's take one of your poems and, and, and write a piece of music based around that? And what has happened with all my students when they, when they do exams, um, like the graded exams, certainly with um, the Trinity syllabus, they're enabled to, um, they're allowed to choose a composition as their third piece. So most of them go in and do two set pieces and then they produce their own composition and that becomes a learning project. And the interesting thing about the whole idea of assessment, it does give measurable targets. But one thing that I've been very privileged and very um, grateful about is um, a, a partnership that I developed with Victoria College Exams. And they approached me about three years ago, it would be three or four years ago, and said they, they liked my, my philosophy and would I consider working with them to um, come up with a bespoke assessment for string babies. And this is really quite important because that beginner period from a moment that they'd step in for their first lesson, and especially if they're very young children, to when they would be ready to say do grade one, can be very long. It could be as long as two years or even longer with some children. And there are so many you know, stages in what defines a big, what we call a beginner. And with wonderful cooperation from the staff at Victoria College, we came up with a String Babies Award, which are free um, levels of assessment, which are carried out by the, the teacher in situ. So there's no going to an exam um, centre. It's all done within the, the time frame of a lesson. And um, they have two string babies repertoire pieces to choose from. And they have, um, a, a, they've got to then compose their own piece at the first level. It's just literally 16 beats of, of, of shaped string babies notation. And the scales and technical exercises, which the scales again are developed from open strings to incorporating the left hand to produce a scale. Again, they're composing their own rhythms. So, and there's a strong element of um, of oral 
um, involved. It's it's very very simple. It's it's it. I don't like to call it an exam. It's an award, and it forms like a project, a target that um, young string babies, violin, viola players, and cellists can work towards. What I what I really love about what I'm hearing is um is the sense that so much about music is about getting it right and wrong in many people's eyes and certainly the case like you said if you end up going from exam to exam as you go through um and i just think you know when when you're starting to learn something and you're learning it in a very organic way which i think is the key to what you've been saying but that composition element is wonderful because it's that kind of it's just what you're learning is also very very creative they're expressing themselves in a way that isn't right or wrong it is what they've come up with it is something that they've wanted to express and and that's wonderful because then that the whole feeling of what you feel being a musician is and and in reality for me anyway what it should be is very different than kind of oh I've worked really hard and actually I missed that note so therefore I'm not as good a player as I think I should be or something like that when they're completely worlds apart and I, and I would think that that's the essence of the difference despite the as you said the practical notational differences as well yes absolutely and I think people have got to feel that what they produce in terms of what whether they're performing or whether what their compositions are that they're safe that they will be accepted and that it isn't the end of the world or the end of their career or a judgment on them and i i speak really from the heart of this because i i thought i judged myself not to be a good composer I had tried, and if it didn't sound anything worthy of Mozart, well, I just thought, like sight reading, <laughs> I can't do it. And total and utter rubbish. But I didn't really learn that important life lessons for myself until well into the string babies <laughs> process. I'm honest. When Surrey Arts, who, that was the old Surrey Music Service, became the first music service to take on string babies and this was nearly 10 years ago and they've been incredible uh, wonderful supporters the um, head of strings a wonderful colleague called Yvette Madden has been wonderfully supportive and in the sense they've also been helping inspire the direction string babies would continue to develop in and the way one of the ways they did this um, was that they said, we'd like, you know, you've written this lovely book, but it's got no piano accompaniments. Do you think you could write some piano accompaniments? And I went, ooh, <laughs> can I write some piano accompaniments? Well, dash it, I'm going to give it a go. So I gave it a go and um, I enjoyed it so much. I found it, I enjoyed trying to write music as much as I enjoyed playing it. And um, they were really I was so encouraged by the response I got from my colleagues when they heard it. And, you know, those piano accompaniments have stayed. But, you know, it's it's the same with, with performing. I When I'm adjudicating, I see a lot of youngsters really quite tense, quite worried. And I try always to encourage them really just to go for it not to play as if they're a damage limitation ex this is a damage mm. limitation exercise you know because i've said the chances are if you drop a note or even if you go wrong you might have missed it the skill which comes through experience 
is learning how to not let it show. So, you know, I don't want to hear apologies. Don't you just stop and walk off a stage. These are things that keep, are regular themes that keep coming back as I'm working with performers of all ages within the festival movement, is teaching, is trying to encourage them to feel safe, you know, and that they can grow that actually you've got to make mistakes in order to learn from them it's part of the process yeah. and i don't want to say mistakes you've got to, you know things that you don't you're not happy with you've got to allow them to happen yes absolutely and, and I, I think it's it's one of the things that through i guess through the education world and there are many things i mean i mean as a professional musician there's something about having to do your best you on any given day that when it happens is just incredible and magical and, and there's something about that element and it's the same in sport you know the olympic games comes once every four years and you want to be that good on that day to do it and and, and there's a, there's an important human factor i guess in that too but the interesting thing i found having left music college and started doing shows or music theatre and that kind of thing or, or an orchestra situation where you're performing the same programme on a number of days is the fact that it's about the law of averages in lots of ways because it's only when you do the same thing multiple times that you realise that one day you couldn't have played it any better one day you're not quite sure how you played it quite so badly and the other however many days is kind of somewhere in between <laughs> um, and, and I remember a conductor saying you know especially when we're doing sort of weeks and weeks of the same type of thing he said that, you know it's just a question that you what you want is over an eight show week you want your professional ability to be right up there and there will be some that are great and some which are not quite so great but generally speaking it's that high and it's only when you're doing things on that regular level that you realize that every performance is different and so I think to feel safe and to understand that on a festival or an exam day or whatever it is just one day of your life and it is one way maybe you do get a mark or an award or some description but actually it's all those days of practice it's all those days of experience it's all those different performing elements which perform that are you as a performer and and it's it's taking all that in board that that's who you are not just like you say any given performance on any given day yes and i i think in all the sort of um, what might be termed as negative experiences can often feed back, feed through into how you deal more positively um, with a situation. So give the idea of festivals. Um, I never won a single festival um, class ever. I always came second usually to the same child prodigy. And I felt pretty miffed about this as you can imagine. And I, I trot it out quite frequently at festivals, but it's not about winning prizes. It's not about setting yourself up there, not about judging yourself. And I said, you're looking at somebody who always came second, and it usually raises a bit of a laugh. <laughs> but it was true. And I didn't get my first festival medal until a couple of years ago when a, a lovely festival in Scotland decided to award me a medal and a certificate for outstanding adjudicating. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I realise I've gone off piece. I, I, I warned you I might do this, but... No, it's, um, it's, all, it's, all, it's all very interesting. And, 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 all, you know, and I think from an educator's point of view in the way, you know, I think talking about learning and, and how children show up in that learning environment I think you know these are all incredibly important and we talked before about how you know the breadth of the curriculum is important to give children these experiences for all of these different reasons and um, but one of the things I'm really keen to, to make sure that we we clarify and understand is how string babies 
fits into the into the musical world so it's it's string teachers that are using this within schools and and teaching environments or is it um a little bit broader than that it is a becoming a little bit broader because having my put it into a three to six year old box over the years as i started um training teachers to work with strings um uh, string babies um and obviously from where i told you developing myself is quite a lot of things that have happened on the route to get to the point where I'm training teachers. And we've realized the skills are transferable across two other instruments. So um, a colleague has developed one for recorder. We've got a piano version, which I developed and has now been taken on by a colleague to basically finish off and complete. Um, same, same with a brass version. We know that it can't, we have tried classroom ideas and I'd um, you know if I had a very dedicated classroom colleague who would like to help me develop string babies um, the principals in classroom um, get in touch <laughs> um, quite seriously so we know that the skills are transferable and they work across so um, where it fits in we found that I've got I've got children reading music before they even start school and it but it has leapt out of its box because we're getting children with special educational needs being able to learn to read music and manipulate music and notation through it we've had children who've somehow never been able to grasp reading music they've been able to engage with it and find those skills being strengthened and Bizarrely enough, I even had colleagues telling me I've got an adult who is struggling to learn to read music. And so they started with string babies. And this is a thing, question I have, is that I wonder if the traditional way of starting with a five-line stave is just like the equivalent of starting a child reading um Harry Potter, you know, for instance, yeah. we're starting at a level too high for it all to be assimilated very, very um, well. And fundamentally, I think if people start to think uh, to deconstruct, and this is a skill that I realize has to be developed in teachers, and perhaps some teachers are able to do this better than others, but if we deconstruct things enough and do them step by step, we can build solid foundations. So um, where, it, where it is at the moment, well, it's in five music services about to go into um, another two. And we've got teachers up and down the country who in their individual practices have been engaging with string babies and now beginning to go abroad. So we've got a handful of teachers in USA, Canada, the Netherlands and Australia. And um, very excitingly, um, the Charanga e-learning environment are going to be publishing the String Babies Violin and Cello books online. And I'm at the, at the time of speaking, I'm just reviewing the final test draft. And I'm very excited because the one thing that I felt could be different was that children could learn to compose um, using... Um, I suppose, drop and drag tech technology. Whatever it is, um, Chiranga have got the technology to enable making composing your own um, tunes 
on Strig Babies Notation within their their program, and I'm that will be launched um, before Christmas. So I'm very very excited about that. Yeah, no, that sounds wonderful. So. I mean, there's so much excitement in, 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 in the progression of it from, from those ideas, like you say, sort of from 10 years or so ago. And and so those people who want to, to find more, so it, what I love is the fact that it's not just UK-based, which is great because there'll be people all around the world that may be listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, where's the best place for them to, to go and visit so they can experience more and see a little bit more about it? Well, they could start with stringbabies.com, um, which is my my website uh, we've also got a sister site where we have a shop on that musicbabies.org.uk it probably needs all you know updating and everything but we we do our best to keep <laughs> up um i have a facebook page i'm on t- uh, which is string babies um also have um twitter which is at string babies um, if you go on YouTube and if you put in String Babies and put in my name, there are a number of little videos. We had um, a small um, section of video shot earlier this year, which just shows the different stages um, in, um, shall we say, f- about six or seven small few second videos. And it just shows some of the main stages in in learning, gives a bit of an overview. And you can see those on the YouTube channel. That's brilliant. Well, Kay, thank you so much for chatting today. Thank you, Mark. It's it's been so interesting. And and I'm really... I'm really excited about the development of it and you know we we've talked a little bit about education and 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 all that sort of thing but I just think with like you say the collaborations with people like Chiranga which suddenly open it up to the entire world and anyone mm. on that platform the, the fact that it starts from like you said uh, a single idea of something which develops in through your world and then out into other people's world it, that's very encouraging not just from a, a, a musical point of view or a string learning point of view but for learning generally so I think hearing all of these things and and even people encouraged to whatever it is that they're doing within education as well as a really exciting thing so I really appreciate your time and sharing your story and um, be really interesting to, to keep in contact and, and see how it develops as it starts to develop more internationally as well. Thank you very much, Mark. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you think we can help you, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're homeschooling, or you want to know more about music generally, go to educationonfire.com forward slash membership and you can find out more information about what we have to offer. And the most important thing is our community and the fact that we want to support you and enabling children to be fully included in music. That's educationonfire.com forward slash membership. <laughs>